Would you please uh, open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 13 and ending at 16. Hear these words from God's holy and inspired word that will never fail us. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp and light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is this in this four-week series, I'm inviting you to join me in a risky and potentially life-changing prayer. And it's this prayer. Lord, would you open a door? open my mouth, and open their heart. Truly praying this kind of a prayer changes your outlook on things. And it changes where God may be placing you and where you may be placing yourself and how you may be responding in many different circumstances. It is a risky and potentially life-changing prayer. And the impetus behind this prayer is the belief that talking about and practicing Personal evangelism is something that will help us to reach people with the glorious and amazing news of the gospel. Believing that Jesus will, will do something through our opening our mouths. But this will also affect you and me. Personal evangelism is probably one of the, the, the most risky things that we can do when it comes to following Jesus Christ. One of the most risky things. Sharing your faith will cause you to, to pray more fervently. It'll cause you to study God's word more carefully and more precisely. And it will ask you, it'll cause you to ask people to pray with you more frequently. As you see yourself stepping out in, from outside of your comfort zone, you are going to say, Lord, I, I need you, and I need brothers and sisters to be praying with me, and I need to know how do I respond to the questions that people have regarding the gospel. And it's a scary thing for many of us. In fact, this is the one area where we will really see the value of true Christian community. We are able to be motivated by the stories and the, the struggles 
of others. And we're able to share our own challenges and, and also receive community. That's one of the reasons that we strongly encourage each and every person who is a part of Missio Dei Church to be a part of a missional community, a small group of one shape or another. If it's the same gender or if it's a mixed group, we want you to be a part of a group, not just to hunker down and be brothers and sisters in Christ, but to be praying for each other, to encourage one another. Evangelism, I'm promising you, will be challenging. And we will be also, in that challenge, the support to others. So our plan through this series is, is to walk through four different things. Last week we looked at applying the gospel. This week we're going to be living in light of the gospel. Then we are going to be looking at what does it mean, how do we, how do we share the gospel? And some of you are going to go, yeah, help me out with that one. So come back next week. And then ultimately on, on Easter morning, we are going to be celebrating the gospel. So last week, we looked at this idea of applying the gospel, and we looked at Romans chapter 1, right? 14 through 6, 17, and it helped us see that there is a motivational connection between applying the gospel to your life and the passion that you have to share to others. When the gospel is applied to your life and you live in light of what the gospel has done to you, it, it cannot help but motivate you to share the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. In other words, you trump your natural tendency to be quiet or even ashamed of the gospel by reminding yourself about what the gospel really does and what a difference it has made and is making in your life. We saw last week that guilt in sharing the gospel really doesn't work. And I don't ever want to apply any kind of guilt. Man, get out there, share. But I want us to look at the motivate. What should motivate us to share the gospel? We need to be motivated by our affections for Christ and not just obligation. And I hope that applying the gospel to your life this past week gave you greater joy and urgency in sharing the gospel. Or even just a part of the gospel with somebody this week. And even if you weren't able to share the entire plan of salvation, perhaps just even your presence or a brief word or an action will be used by God to make a difference in somebody's life. That's my prayer. This morning, though, our theme is living in light of the gospel, living in the gospel. And I want to show you two images that Jesus gave us for the kind of lives that he wants his followers to live. His instruction is part of the Sermon on the Mount, a, a sermon series that we went through probably two or three years ago. And, and really, it's a message on what it means to be real, a real follower of Jesus Christ. And it's hard-hitting material. In chapter 5, 13 through 16, gives us two metaphors for the way that Jesus wants us to live in this world. In both cases, Jesus starts off by saying, you are. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the earth. You are. So these metaphors are meant to communicate a, a way of looking at life or, or a model by which we are to live. 
Further, both of these, these models, these metaphors, are set in scenarios where their normal and created purposes malfunction. Salt and light do what salt and light are created to do. And that's the point of salt and light. So let's start off by salt of the earth. In verse 13, Jesus not only talks about his followers being salt, he says that they are the salt of the earth. They're the salt of the, you're not just salt, you're the salt of the earth. And Jesus not, not only limits this metaphor to a small context, he makes big, grand, sweeping, and global influence is all what he has in mind. You are the salt of the earth. And the idea seems to be that in the midst of this vast realm of the earth, there are strategically placed influencers whose presence influences the whole. In Jesus' time, salt was one of the very few preservative agents which would prevent decay. Further, salt had the ability to add flavoring to food. My son, one of his favorite seasonings is salt. salt. I mean, he's a saltaholic, and I'm scared what's going to happen later on in his life. After dad salts and seasons a steak or salt and seasons some vegetables, what does he do? He wants more. But that, and that's what we, we are about, right? We, we are to, to be preservative agents, and we are to be food flavoring. Salt was an additive back then, and it was extremely valuable. Its presence might be small, but its impact would be great. What's more, the salt metaphor is somehow connected to relationships. It's connected to relationships. In two other instances where salt is used, it seems to highlight that salt is connected to relationships. Listen to Mark chapter 9, verse 15. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. You see that connection? Salt in relationships? Or Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again, there's that connection, that relational connection. So given the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it seems that the point here is about the way that followers are to conduct themselves with, with others, especially those who are not a part of the kingdom of God. In other words, the followers of Jesus have a mission in the world. The purpose of their redemption and their righteousness is to be influencers in the culture. The disciples of Jesus add divine flavor to life and serve as a God-given gift of preservation. And do you realize what this means? The implications are sweeping. It, it means that 
Every area of life in which you are placed is to be impacted by the flavoring of the gospel. Every arena that you are a part of. You not only apply the gospel to your own personal life, which I think many of us love to do. I'm applying the gospel to me. I want to be a better person. I want to have a better marriage. I want to apply it to me. But the gospel, when applied, when we are the salt of the earth, it has implications in every arena of life. God has placed you where you are, in your career, in your neighborhood, in a dorm room, in your gym, in your school, in a swim club, in your family, and thousands of other areas in life in order that you may bring the aroma of the gospel into every arena of life. So wherever you work, think of that place right now. You are the salt of the earth. There. Where you buy groceries, you are the salt of the earth. There. In your leisure places, there. You are the salt of the earth. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul captures this. He says this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of God, of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So God chooses to use you wherever you are to bring the aroma of Christ to those places everywhere. And the implications of this should be obvious, but just let me make sure you get it. Because I know that sometimes I'm kind of hard-headed and it, it just doesn't hit me. We are not here on the earth with the same mission as everybody else. We have a purpose, and we have a meaning far beyond earning a living, getting an education, hanging out with friends, raising children, saving for retirement, and enjoying life. We have more to this life than that. None of those things are bad. Hear me say that. It's not bad to raise your children in a proper way, or to get an education, or or to make good money. None of those things are bad, but they're absolutely incomplete. Our mission in life is transformative. And if we fail at that mission by virtue of our lack of focus or our lack of godliness, Matthew 5.14 says, it is no longer good for anyone. In other words, if salt isn't salty... What's the point? And when it comes to following Jesus, the meaning is is simple and it's absolutely blunt. If your mission isn't gospel transformation, what's the point of the gospel? You cannot separate the transformation of the gospel from the gospel. They go hand in hand. They are linked as saltiness is to salt. Therefore, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But the next metaphor, 
The next metaphor that is used in the text is light. But notice how the metaphor is framed in verse 14. You are the light of the world. Again, we see the metaphor is is specific, light, and, and its context is very broad. You are the light of the world. The the image here is of light that is to be broadcast to the entire world. Just like the salt of the earth, the image of light of the world is broad, it's sweeping, it's invasive. It's infectious. Light, after all, is only useful, really, if there is darkness. So the implication here is that is that there is a dark world out there. And, and we know that, right? We, we walk about in it, and we, we struggle in it. We, we've got family situations. We've got a culture situations. We, we've got denominations and churches who are struggling with to stay in the light. And we see the decay that is going on. And there is darkness out there. And sometimes it looks absolutely bleak. But in the midst of this bleak condition... A light shines forth. Jesus says that is what his followers are like. They are darkness dispelling lights. You are darkness dispelling lights. In the next sentence, in verse 14, it's repeated in verse 15, in the same way, that salt loses its value and impact if it loses its saltiness, a light has no purpose if it's hidden. And here's what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It cannot. Just by its nature, it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Now, it... How many of you grew up? Maybe you got the song already kind of going in your head. Some of you are going, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Bum, bum, bum. This little, you know. And then it comes to this part where hide it under a bushel. No. Right, exactly. We don't do that. Hide it under a bushel? No. And it's not a, nah. It's a No. Light is not meant to be hidden under a bushel. Like a city on a hill is not not hidden. You don't hide your light. Lights are meant to shine out. Why have a light, though, if you're not going to let it shine? Do you see the point in the connection? A light is meant to shine. It loses its value and it loses its purpose when you do not use it for that purpose. In the same way, the followers of Jesus Christ are in this world to be a light, a light of the world. That is why you are here. You are to be a light to the world. As Israel was to be a light to the nations, so are we to be a light to the world. That, that is one of your created purposes. Your mission is to be light to hide the gospel, to hide the gospel, to not take the the gospel to the darkness, to keep the light to ourselves just doesn't make sense. Why would you light a light only to have it hidden? 
Why would you receive the gospel only to keep it to yourself? Verse 16 brings a lesson, uh, brings the lesson into a clear message for us. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is not just talking about broadcasting your transformed life because you want to receive credit. That's not what it's about. But he is talking about the real power and the real value of living in such a way through words and through deeds that the world realizes that there is something really different about you. Something otherworldly about you. Salt and light are powerful metaphors with a singular vision. Namely, that the gospel was not just something to deal with the issue of your sin and your eternal destiny. Certainly that is a part of it, right? The gospel takes you, transfers you from one kingdom and transplants you into another kingdom. It gives you a new name, a new identity. You become new in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new person in Christ, and that is an extremely important part. But the gospel was meant to be transformative in the world. And that happens as gospel-centered people embrace a deployment mindset. They look at life differently. We look at our neighborhoods, our, our workplaces, our school, and our daily lives differently. A salt and light orientation means that you understand that God not only saved you from something, but he saved you to something. So why are you here? And this is really important because this whole thing, it, it sets the pace for why God has placed you here. This relates to the lens through which you view the relationships around you and, and where you work. It sets the lens for how you live and, and the daily encounters that you might be having. It gives you fresh new lenses for how I see people, how I feel about people. In other words, the big picture question is this. What is the role of Christians in this world? Or to make it more personal, what is your role in this world? Or to apply it to our church, what is our role in this world? Understanding your how you view your role and the church's role in this world is crucial because it determines a number of things for us. I, I've read a book by uh, two guys, Eric Swanson and Rick Russell. It's called The Externally Focused Quest, Becoming the Best Church for the Community. And it's not this like, man, we're going to be better than that church over there and better than that, but being the best church for our neighborhood. What is best for them. It's not a competition mentality. Hear that. And the author suggests that there have been 
two predominant views of the church's role in the world, but they believe that there's a third. The first one is this, a fortress church. The world is viewed as dangerous, a threat, our enemy, and sometimes we must protect ourselves against it. Churches with this mentality build high, high relational walls with the hope that they can just ride out the storm or survive the battle. The focus is to protect ourselves from them. That's a fortress church. I grew up in a fortress church. Very safe against the outside world. There was very little cultural engagement. We kept our distance. We had programs to protect our children. And we spent more time in the church for the sake of our safety than out in the world. But they also say there's another one, an attractional church. The world is viewed as our audience. And there is an attempt to get the, commu the community into the church. The church tries to woo poop, woo poop, woo people, woo people in, or kind of be the cool kid on the block through our skills, our, our talents, and our, our services. The focus is to win them by impressing them. Look how cool we are. We've really got something going on here. Check out this band. Check out this pastor. Check out these programs. Wouldn't you want to be a part of it? Now, now you need to know that there are certain aspects of both of these that are helpful and right. Hear me on that. But there's another model that I'd like you to think about. One that I think is probably more balanced and more strategic in our present culture. The incarnational church. This model is about getting the church into the community. Getting the church into the community. It's about helping believers live out their calling among people that do not yet believe. It's about equipping you to go and be the church in the community. It's, it's not about being the best church in the community. Rather, it's becoming the best church for the community. Or to ask the question, maybe a little pointedly for us, to get us to that point is, and this is a question that we asked early on when we started Missio Day Church, is if our church disappeared tomorrow would our community even notice would they gasp would there be mourning they're gone what do we do now there was light there was hope they were telling us something or how about I make it a little bit more personal if you disappeared from your community would anyone miss your Christian influence? Or would they say, wow, he was, he was a great worker. She was a great worker. She, I really liked her. Or would, would they miss your Christian influence, your salt and your light at that place? So the question we have to ask ourselves is whether or not our fundamental posture in this world is to protect ourselves 
to impress others, or to go to others. Swanson and Rousseau observed the following. Listen to this quote. Churches that transform communities are those that are inwardly strong, but outwardly focused. There's nothing wrong about a strong church that knows the scriptures and knows what you believe and why you believe them. That is absolutely critical, but that is not enough. We must be a church that takes that good news, that assurance that we have. We know that the anchor has been lodged in the veil, and that is where our hope is. It's in Christ. He broke through, and we can say, there is hope for you. When Jesus Christ says, it is finished, we go, amen. Now come, let me show you the one who said, it's finished. There's hope for you. And this is the very reason, this is the very reason that we must embrace this kind of a philosophy because it relates how we see the world, ourselves, and and the mission of the church. It also is connected to the best strategy for evangelism. And I want to suggest to you that while there are some powerful, something powerful about the the mobilization of God's people into every arena of life through programs, that's really good and that's really nice, my vision for evangelism is not a special campaign. It's not a special campaign or a special event that we invite people to. Although those things are good, and we should, that's not our major focus. Rather, I want to challenge us to be the best church for the community. Here's another quote from this book that just kind of gripped my heart. Church people think about how to get people into the church. Kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Bring salt and light to the dark places. Church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see the church change the world. See the subtle change? I think we need to be reminded why God has placed us in the world. We need to remember what our mission in life really is. And and I feel, and I'm sure that you do as well, it is not easy. And it's really easy to slip into a daily existence. A daily existence where we neglect the real reason why we are here. The real reason why you've been saved. In order for us to get evangelism right, we need to understand our role in this world. We need to keep that focus sharp because our tendency always, my tendency always, is to drift away from mission. Drift away. So we've been praying that the Lord would open a door, that he would open my mouth, and that he would open a heart, right? But I want to take another step today. If we really are going to be salt and light in the world, then we need to think strategically. Think strategically about how we're living and what we're doing, as well as our priorities, 
as Christians, as salt and light. And frankly, the pace of life and the opportunities in this economic kind of Disneyland where there's all kinds of opportunities all around us that kind of make us buzzing about what to do can pull us off course really quick. And if we really start to live strategically, it will require intentionality. It will require risk. And it will require And we'll have to plan to make this happen. We will have to step outside of our comfort zones. And it will take time. We will have to create some margin in our lives in order to make room for those kind of conversations that, that are part of being light and part of being salt. So how do we do this? Well, I, I'm willing to guess that if we really did a sur an honest survey this morning about how well you really know your neighbors, some of you will go, well, I know they got three or four kids. I, I know he's retired. He drives a John Deere lawnmower. Um, I think he works at Panduit. Um, they drive a really no a nicer car than we do. You know, I, I know some of those kind of surface things about our neighbor, but how well do you really know them? Do you know them well enough to have a conversation about spiritual things? So here's what I, I'm going to give you some suggestions, some ideas. Some of you are just dying. I just need some ideas. And I don't do that very often, right? Because you, I am more of a thinker, a cerebral, and give you kind of stuff, and you go, whoa. And now I want to give you some ideas. Find creative ways to get to know your neighbors. Be creative. Walk around your neighborhood. I know, it's simple. It's crazy. Walk around your neighborhood. Invite them over to your backyard. Have, have a barbecue, a cookout. Help them with projects around their house. Don't ask me to do it, but if you're good and handy, help them with projects. Hold the nails, if that's all you can do. Hold the nails or the screw. Oh, you need this? Oh, here you go. Don't make, make me do it. But help them. When they ask you to watch their dog, say yes. Thank God that we got allergies. We, we have to say no, but... But... And when their kids are selling stuff and when it's legal, buy it. Buy their stuff. Buy lots of Girl Scout cookies. We have plenty of parties. Right? Here's another way. When your kids join baseball, soccer, swim, tennis, chess club, marching band, use all those hours. Use all those hours you spend with other parents to build into their lives. Don't just sit on the bench. Find somebody and go, God, who is, it? who is it that you're opening a door? And then move. Hey, I'm Paul. And you are? I see that you got, uh, your son must be in baseball too. What's his name? Where do you guys live? Oh, really, not too far. You guys should come over. We, my kids are always looking for a play date. Come on over sometime. Hey, what are you doing this afternoon? Invite people into your lives. Build into their lives. Be also the kind of person at work who really cares for people. 
You're not there just to perform a function. You are there to be salt and light. Care for people. Do your job really, really well, but get below the surface of people's lives and talk to them. Do you know how many, you really have a conversation with people and all of a sudden they gush. Oh, do you know what's going on? My husband left me. My kids are this. My work, this happened, or I'm just struggling with depression. I've got, get to know them. It's scary, absolutely scary. But you know what the beautiful thing is? You have the hope of the gospel. You've got the answer for what ails them. Here's another thing. Ask people if you can pray for them. And then pray for them. And I'm not just, it might be a, hey, can I pray for you? Yeah. Like right now? I think you will find very few people who will say, no way. No, just take it home in your private prayer closet. <laughs> Most people will go, yeah. If I shared a burden that's breaking my heart, I want you to pray for me right now. How about frequent the same places of business? Get to know the wait staff. I go to the same two Starbucks. And my kids joke that the baristas know my voice and my order. And they do. But we're building a relationship. On Wolf Road, I know Tara really well. I, I, I know the baristas of Jacob over there in, in New Lenox. I, I know the one in... Well, actually, there's three Starbucks. <laughs> there's the one in Frankfurt, too. I, we know each other. Get to know them. Eat at the same restaurants. Build relationships. And then here's the last thing. Learn to ask good questions. And plan to ask good questions. Ask good questions. I, I found that people who ask the best questions spend time thinking about how to ask the right questions. Some of us are fly from the seat of the pants. Ooh, I'll get there when I get there and ask him a question. No, start thinking about it. What are, what are those questions? What, what, a question that Todd asked me the other day is, so what is Paul Vroom learning right now? Oh, for the next 15 minutes on our way to his place, back to his place, I gushed. My wife has the skill of asking the same kind of questions where all of a sudden we go, okay, here we are. Asking good questions is critical. So what's your spiritual life like? What, what's your religious background from your childhood? That's safe. For my childhood, oh, I'll tell you. Catholic Church screwed me up, or this church screwed me up, or I don't believe in this, and I don't believe in that. Well, it's opening up doors. And the point is that you actually are thinking about the questions that you ask ahead of time. I could give you a ton of more suggestions. The reality is that's what your missional community is about. Coming together and say, hey, help me. Uh, I need to... I've been praying for this friend, this brother, this sister. Help me. What we need to do is 
think about where God has placed us and how we could maximize that for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. So where has God placed you? What doors are right in front of you today? And as different as our church is, there are hundreds of different answers here this morning. Whose conversion are you presently praying for right now? Who are you praying for? How long has it been since you've done something risky in the name of Christ? This gospel is a gospel that has transformative power. There's, we, we sing a song about the power of the name of Christ. There's power, but its message is carried by people. The kind of people who pray, Open a door. Open my mouth. Open their hearts. So last week we talked about the importance of applying the gospel to our lives, to, to live in, with our affections elevated in such that we cannot help ourselves to, to share this message. It starts there, but it can't stop there. We need to realize that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And there's no accidents and there's no coincidences about God. He's placed us, he's placed you where he wants you to be salt and light. We're called to live out the implications of the gospel. And one way that we are going to start practicing what we preach and what we believe is through the hard work of prayer. Hard work of prayer. You can start, Todd. Ole Halsby, in his book called Prayer, wrote this quote. Why don't you throw it up there for me, Nathan? We find that most of us who have been converted have had someone praying for us. Someone who carried us personally to the throne of God while we were unconverted. It seems to me that no one is so poor as an individual for whom not a single soul is praying and who no one takes him, him or her personally and persistently to God in prayer. So you're receiving from the deacons cards. You're going to get two each. Two each. And John will double back. You're going to receive two of these cards. The first card is your home card, the one that you're going to put in a place that is going to be prominent, where you're going to see it regularly. Sometimes maybe the best place might be on your dash of your vehicle. Maybe the best place is in your, your bedroom on the mirror. Wherever you go regularly and you see it constantly, you are going to put this there and you are going to be praying, God, would you open a door would you open my mouth? And God, would you open their heart? And we're going to put people's names on the inside. We are going to be praying for them at home by name. We're going to pray for people by name. But the second one, you're going to write the same names. 
and we're going to post them, we're going to staple them to the back bulletin board as our constant reminder as a church that Easter is not our end goal. There are people perishing, being told a false gospel or no gospel at all that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I would love, I would love, love, love to see this miraculous thing take place that week by week, people go to the back bulletin board and take off the name because that person has come to Christ. And we can stand up and say, you know what? I've been praying for John and I've been praying that God would open his heart, that he'd open my mind, or he'd open a door, open my mouth, and open their heart. And you know what? This past week, I was having a spiritual conversation with him, and John came to Christ, and the church just breaks out into clapping. and <laughs> Look at how good God is. And that propels us, right? He God's up to something. God is on the move through his people. So grab a pen. You can write down multiple names, but multiple names on both cards. You don't have to put last names. If you're scared that people might, you know, there's a privacy issue. Who are those people that you know do not know Christ? Or there's no evidence of the Spirit's fruit in their life. Who is it that you are going to be praying for, committing to be praying for day in and day out? Lord, Change their hearts. Take a moment, do that right now. And then we're actually going to pray for people by name. And some of you, this is where it gets squishy, but the beautiful thing is I've got the prayer right there for you, which is on the inside of your card. Everybody done it? Some of you, the box is way too small, right? <laughs> Let's take a moment. And I would love to just hear this cacophony of prayer. You don't have, this prayer is simple enough. You don't have to tell us their whole situation. Just God, I am praying for John by name, asking for your saving and renewing grace to break into their life. And then somebody else pray. And then somebody else pray. Let's take a moment. Let's go before the Lord, asking Him to... And here's this crazy thing. It might even be you that we're praying for this morning. You might be going this morning. God's opened a door in my heart. And I need to respond. But let's pray together right now.